All right, what's going on, everyone? It's Dr. Jordan Seda coming to you live from New York City. Are you ready to go to health and back? All right, let's get it. Welcome to Health and Back, a podcast run by a physical therapist focused on fitness, performance, and mindset tools for success. And now, here's your host, Dr. Jordan Seda. So everyone, it is uh, approaching the, the Christmas, well, I guess we're in Christmas season, five days till Christmas uh, to everyone who celebrates. Uh, I think a lot of people are looking forward to some time off from work, uh, but not exactly the surge in COVID cases here in the city. Uh, how, how is it up uh, where you are, Jasmine? Um, it's actually the worst it's been in two years. So <laughs> it's pretty bad up here right now too. Oh man. Uh, so did they start closing things down or how they they are yeah they've they've well they closed cornell which is kind of a big factor and the students went home for uh winter break anyway so i think that should help this area out a bit but yeah things are getting pretty bad right here like this is the first time where you know i've known people who've been exposed we're having patients call us saying that they've been exposed. So it's kind of like really hitting here for the first time. Yeah, it is a season. And I, I really hope that they don't drop the ball in Times Square this year, but I have a feeling that they still will move forward with it uh, for many reasons. But let's hope that January 2022 is in lockdown part two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, we're not here to talk about just somber uh, topics. Uh, I'm delighted to have Jasmine Marcus, a physical therapist, writer, journalist, and former classmate of mine at Columbia mm -hmm. University's Doctor of Physical Therapy program. Uh, Jasmine, it's been it's been a while, but thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, of course. Now, uh, it's been a considerable amount of time since we've been out of school, and uh, most of you know what I'm up to, but Jasmine, what uh, what's going on with you these days? Yeah, so doing a few different things. Um, for the past six months, I've had a new job as a PT. So I'm working part-time for in the outpatient department for our local hospital. So doing that a couple days a week. And then on the days I'm not there, I've been focusing on my writing and editing business. So I edit essays. For people applying to PT school. Um, I do a little bit of freelance writing for different websites. And then I do copywriting for a couple different PT companies. So helping them with things like their newsletter, blog posts, social media posts, stuff like that. So yeah, I'm kind of half clinical, half non-clinical, doing a whole bunch of different things. And it's a good mix. Yeah, that certainly sounds like it. And I don't know many people who are physical therapists and also uh, doing editing and all, all the other uh, side hustles you have. Now, I know it's a little early to say, but do you feel like you can go either way in terms of like staying on board, being a full-time clinician or going full-time into editing, or are you still just trying to see where, where everything goes? Um, I like kind of having it half and half. I still, I like being a physical therapist. I like kind of keeping my foot in the clinic and staying up to date on things. Um, but I also like the variety of not doing it full time. So mm -hmm. I could, pro well, I know 
they have the need for me to, <laughs> to be more full-time at the clinic I'm at. Um, and I also probably could get more writing work to go full-time with that, but I like the mix and I think it makes me better at both. I think I'm better mm-hmm. helping out different clinics because I still am a clinician. And I think I'm, I think I'm actually a better clinician because I'm doing it a little bit less. So when I'm there, I feel like I can like really put my whole heart into treating my patients. Um, oh, that's my alarm telling me that I'm going to be on your podcast. So hold on, let me just turn that off real fast. Right. <laughs> Sorry about that. That happens. At least we uh, know that she okay. didn't forget to join me. Yeah, <laughs> started a little early, so, okay. Yeah, that's a, uh, yeah, I, I certainly think not losing the, uh, the humanistic aspect of working with clients is helpful for your editing business, but also I think because you're not seeing so many people, you are able to be present. You're, and I think many people can appreciate that providers, specifically physicians from my experience and well, PTs in high volume clinics, especially here in the city, treating 20 plus patients a day. It's really difficult to be at your best at all times. And I think many of the providers are doing their best, but it's just simply more than we can handle because we know that physical therapy is more than just physical. We're uh, also catering to uh, psychological needs, social needs of of our patients. So it's really just uh, not something you can accomplish with throwing some heat on and rubbing some muscles for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. which is not which is not all we do and i hope to address some of those topics but it's yeah. actually because you brought up your uh, editing for pt school essays have you noticed a, a change in maybe the difficulty level of getting into pt school these days compared to when we were applying for school or has anything changed in, in that admission process yeah i mean i think it keeps getting harder i think more and more people are trying to get into the field and so I think I'm so I'm I'm working with more people, but then as I work with more people, you know, you always will have a few who don't get in because maybe their GRE scores weren't high enough or that especially right now there's a lot of people who don't get a lot of hours to apply because of COVID. So um, but I think I think it's getting harder. Um so yeah, so, it's, you know, it's changed. I think we applied now. What did we apply like 10 years ago <laughs> to PT school? So, you know, things have changed in 10 years. About. Yeah. <laughs> 11 years ago, maybe. Yeah, you know? wow. uh, yeah. So. Have you also yeah, noticed, have you seen an increase in PT programs starting up because of the overall demand? Yeah, there's a lot of new programs. Um, I actually just did a blog post on this because a lot of these programs, when they're starting up, you're not accredited yet and you don't get the chance to be accredited until you've had a class graduate. So there's sort of this, like, what should I do? Should I apply to this program if it's not accredited? And CAPD, which is the body that accredits the schools, they actually do a pretty good job making it so that a school might be punished if they don't meet the criteria, but the students wouldn't. So in almost any case, if you're in one of these schools, you will graduate and you will get to take the boards and, you know, the program could get punished if they don't meet the criteria eventually, but they do a pretty good job helping the students out. So the the end result is, yeah, you can apply to a program if it's not accredited. But yeah, there's a few more schools, but then 
I mean, the flip side to this is I've seen stats saying that by 2030, there's actually going to be more physical therapists than there are PT jobs. Whereas like we got into the field because there weren't enough PTs and whether it's because the baby boomers have sort of peaked and that's going to start to decline or, you know, for whatever reason, there are more and more schools popping up at a certain point, it is projected that there might be too many PTs. So, you know, we'll see in 10 years what happens with that. Oh man. So we're going to have a surplus of supply to meet the Mm -hmm. demand in 2030. And we're also going to have mainly electric cars. It's going to be a, it's going to be a super time to be alive. Yeah. (laughs) But I have noticed, and I don't know if you've noticed this as well, that the quality of clinicians that are coming out from PT school now are better informed. They're more empathetic. They're more willing to like invest in continuing education. Has that been your experience as well? Yeah. Also, I've been a clinical instructor. So when you do that, you sort of see what the next generation of PTs are learning. And I think there's more of an emphasis, maybe especially than what we had on kind of keeping up to date with evidence in terms of you know, like we learned how to do ultrasound. I think like the next generation is like, okay, we learned ultrasound because it's on the boards, but we're also learning that you don't really do it. Or, you know, we learn like, what you know, what's something like sacrum mobility, the sacrum doesn't really move. Like we learned that it did. They might be learning about it because you have to for the boards, but they're learning like, okay, the sacrum doesn't really move. So, you know, I think a lot of the things that maybe I was surprised after we graduated to find out like, oh, we learned this, but like maybe there's not evidence behind it or maybe it's not true. I'm seeing a lot of people who are students now or new clinicians, they're actually getting better information in school. So whether it's because they're in a different program or that's just the difference in seven years passing, I think it's a good thing that they're starting to learn things that are a little bit more based in evidence. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think to, uh, to piggyback on that, I think initiatives like uh, what Zach Gabor and Quinn Hennick are doing with the uh, Cal U uh, mm-hmm. Clinical Athlete Level Up Initiative, creating large cohorts of younger clinicians who are getting exposed to all this evidence-based medicine and also being challenged to think more about like real life issues along with how to implement strength and conditioning principles, which I've noticed, especially here in New York City, there's been a narrowing gap between people like myself as a physical therapist and people like personal trainers and chiropractors that are sort of merging together to provide more of a a movement-based approach for healing that's not necessarily medicine, but the, the paradigm shift that like movement is medicine and that there are many people who can prescribe movement to heal. So I think mm-hmm. also to kind of defend our honor as as doctors, we have to uh, understand what's happening and how the tide is shifting and how to take from every pot where there's, you know, if something's working, then we need to make sure that we're doing it. But at the same time, we have to understand that, you know, we are experts in analyzing movement. We're experts in understanding other possible comorbidities and how they might align. Welcome to New York. If you haven't missed it, we have ambulances uh, <laughs> in the background. Uh, I know it's been a while for you, but but yeah, I think uh, I've seen that change. And like you said, I think a lot of clinicians are learning things and realizing that they're really not so clinically effective afterward. 
Um, have you made any other, noticed any other changes in your practice in school other than maybe the sacrum not moving at not at that much or ultrasound's not really that effective? Trigger alert if you think ultrasound's effective for healing. I mean, we can, we can argue that, but uh, I think consensus would say no. Uh, but certainly if you wanted to uh, chime in on that, you can comment after the show. Uh, but yeah, Jasmine, if you remember my question, go for it. Yeah, I mean, I worked at a clinic where everyone is still doing ultrasound. <laughs> so, you know, I think better information is getting out there. I don't know that it's reached everyone yet. Um, for me personally, I think what helped me change a lot as a clinician actually was social media because, you know, my first job, I was at a very small clinic. Um, we were all kind of taking the same continuing ed. It was sort of almost like group think, like we all sort of treated the same way, thought the same things. And that was kind of my only input now that school was over. And then joining social media just introduced me to so many ideas and just made me start to question things more. So even, you know, no one can claim that they know the answer to everything, but it just even opened my mind up to saying like, okay, we can at least question this. So, you know, we don't need to say manual therapy doesn't work. It does work, but maybe it works in a different way than we were taught that it works in school, or maybe different people think it works in different ways and different people use it different amounts. So I think it just got me thinking about some of these things more that maybe I hadn't really ever even thought to question. So social media, I'd say like really changed how I practice and then sort of going along with that. I, so I began to use modalities less often, maybe even a little bit less manual therapy. And I was diving more into the exercise side of things and then sort of realizing the average PT school graduate doesn't actually know that much about exercise. You know, I think we had like one course in it, you know, and it wasn't the most comprehensive so I decided, I found a few clinicians who I really respected, saw that they had their CSCS, looked into it and ended up going that route myself to just have more of a background in strength training. And even a credential, you know, sometimes you're working with patients and just be able to say like, I have this extra credential in strength training. Like I do know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, no one's going to necessarily look at me and just guess that I'm know what I'm talking about with the strength training. So it's just sort of a way to back up the way that I have switched more of my practice into. Yeah, certainly. I think uh, I align with you so much. It's not that I don't utilize manual therapy. Uh, I think there's a time and place. I think I took a course with uh, Dr. Craig Liebenson, I think two, still two years ago. And he said that manual therapy is something that should be earned instead of something that we immediately jump toward when, because mm -hmm. I think most people, when it comes to physical therapy, given like the, the common construct of, you know, going on a table, getting a massage, all the modalities that you're speaking about, it, it comes with expectations, especially when a physician refers them with a prescription that checks off all of these things that yeah. we like, I think they still have like iontophoresis, phonophoresis on there. And I don't mm -hmm. even know if, if pharmacies even carry those creams anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's just like it just goes to show you that some patients come in with expectations when in reality, if they're uh, not just a recreational athlete, but more specifically a barbell athlete, a CrossFit competitor, 
Now, manual therapy is only going to get them so far. It's going to be, in my opinion, and I think you'd agree with me, it's something that's good at calming down the nervous system. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a bunch of tight muscles uh, that are in a overly sympathetic state. So ultimately, it's just a matter of restoring the central nervous system and getting the body more adaptable to lifting heavier loads uh, under various speeds and periods of uh, tension. Mm-hmm. Uh, so have how have you or have you had any patients that have been resistant to more of a movement based approach? And if so, how have you been able to convince them that more of a movement based approach is better for them in the long term? Yeah, for sure. I've had patients. I think sometimes it starts off by doing a little bit of what they want and a little bit of more of the movement aspect. And a lot of the times the people who are more resistant eventually be like, you know, they'll come in and be saying like, oh, I am getting stronger. Like these exercises are really helping. And then they sort of want more exercises and then they're okay with the fact that you're not going to be doing as much manual or modalities. And even, even a few weeks ago, I had a patient who she had had an ankle sprain, went back and got imaging because she was having persistent pain. Um, turned out she had a stress fracture. So she kind of took a break with PT and then she emailed me to say, you know, one of my friends said I should try ultrasound to help with the healing. What do you think? And so I wrote back to her and I think, you know, a year or two, I would have said like, no one does ultrasound, like ultrasound's terrible. And like that argument doesn't work because her friend who suggested it to her is probably going to the clinic that still is doing ultrasound. So if I say no one's doing it, she's like, well, yes, they are. So I handled it by saying, you know, study after I said, ultrasound was really common 20 years ago, more and more of the research is showing that it doesn't really do anything. So I personally, and the hospital system I work for don't do ultrasound anymore, because it is not something that's ultrasound, uh, that's evidence based. And she wrote back and was like, wow, that makes so much sense. Thank you so much for explaining it. I trust you. Like, thank you. And you know, at the end of the day, she has a stress fracture, she needs it to heal. So she was kind of like, I'm going to keep letting it heal. I'll see you after. And so I feel like I've maybe hopefully finally learned how to explain these things better where you never want to like trash another clinician or provider, but just sort of say like, this is something that I found is not evidence-based. It's not something I do even, and you know, I'm proud to say like the organization I work for now doesn't do it um, rather than saying like, no one does it or it's terrible or that type of thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I see trigger alerts all over social media when I go on there with things that I don't believe are effective. And sometimes people are well-intentioned with the information that they're putting out there, but I certainly think they're off the mark. So it's very Mm -hmm. difficult, especially when some of these accounts have considerably more followers than I do. And that person has a friend who also values that account. So how it's very difficult to convey my message and get people to align with it when other influencers or other pages have more of a cult following. And it's not to say that their information is bad because Mm -hmm. I think there's, you know, I think we can all appreciate that there's more than one way to get a result. Um, Side note, I I was the person who wrote that mantra on Dr. Kinnearn's exam that she apparently has told classes about for many years. Shout out Dr. Ken Irons, uh, our anatomy <laughs> professor, beloved uh, at, at Columbia. She's still there, I believe. Yeah, yeah. She, 
there's been a lot of turnover, but she's still there. And I think a few of the other ones are still there. So. Yeah, it's a, no, I, th I think we both had a, a great experience at, at Columbia's PT program. Uh, it's Definitely. just uh, so crazy to reflect on, on how long it's been. Now, mm -hmm. uh, before we keep going into it, you're the first guest that I, and actually the only physical therapist I know that's focused on uh, editing and writing uh, for PT. If someone out there is listening and considering, I guess, alternate career paths as a mm -hmm. physical therapist or maybe other another allied health practitioner, how would you advise them to get started on that process? I think the first thing that you need is sort of examples of your work. And the best way to do that is to start your own blog, um, which I think you've actually done a little bit of that yourself. But the first thing to do is really start your own blog. Um, now it's pretty common to do blogging through Instagram or some other platform, but you really need work samples and no one's really going to hire you or pay you unless they can see what you've done. So you need to start for yourself and then it could turn into, okay, here's my friend's blog. I'm going to offer to write for them for free. Or, you know, you might have to do a couple smaller things like that. And then hopefully you can just slowly build it up from there. I find a lot of the people I work with through social media, um, especially LinkedIn actually. So that's been pretty helpful for me is just to kind of get my name out there that way. And the people you work with are, I know you said you work with a lot of students entering PT school, but mm -hmm. you also work with practice, you find practice owners on LinkedIn? Yeah, um, it's a it's a big range. I work with someone actually in the city who it's sort of like you, it's just her. She has a cash-based practice, so mm -hmm. she's a sole clinician. And then I work with um, a huge company that has like 50 or 100 clinics across three different states, and I help them with their newsletter and social media. So it's kind of a range from you know, the one person to the company that I don't even know how many people work for them. So, and yeah, everyone has found me through social media, word of mouth, that type of thing. So all the way through. That's awesome. I really love that you have created your own like sub niche within the physical therapy practice and pr kind of provided a, I think it's actually quite beneficial if we do experience the surplus of uh, providers that you're you foresee in 2030 that people have other means of earning a living and you know if they do end up burning out because they're not able to find a job or they are in a job and the demands are so high that they have other outlets to uh, contribute to the physical therapy world and people's overall health so that's that's great um i know we've been we've been bouncing back and forth it's kind of how I do things sometimes. It's kind of like my PT school path where it's like, oh, I'm gonna study and then I'm gonna not study. And, uh, that's for another day about my PT school habits. Uh, so I really try to focus on the podcast about uh, achieving fitness goals. Uh, I guess quote unquote optimal performance would be uh, one way to describe it. How would you, in your experience working with people and even maybe in your own along your own fitness journey, what would you say would be the, the key points to be successful at achieving your goals? Um, I think consistency is a big thing. You know, I'm sure you've seen this with your clients too, where, you know, sometimes people have a goal and they want to achieve it right away. So, you know, they haven't been running and now all of a sudden they're running three miles a day, seven days a week, and they want to run a race right away or you know, run, run, do something crazy right away. So I think it's sort of 
consistency and then also kind of getting into things slowly if they're new for you. So, you know, I would never tell someone who hasn't run in years, you know, run three miles every single day. Um, you know, you might start with every other day, building it up slowly, starting with half a mile, something like that. So I think the key to the key to achieving your goals is knowing how to achieve them and sort of knowing what the steps are to getting there and putting in the work, but also not putting in, you know, too much work or not working smart, smartly. Yeah. And to, I think uh, you give me a lot of like, you kind of like send me on to my next talking point. But when you talk about running, I know there's many people out there that might think that running is the most efficient way to, to drop weight and, mm-hmm. I know me personally, and this might potentially lose me some clients, but I don't enjoy running for leisure at all. I have other mm-hmm. methods of doing cardio for, for my life, but if someone's doing an activity that they don't enjoy, obviously it's going to lead to inconsistencies. It's going to lead to uh, just a you know poor behavioral pattern and you're going to spiral out of control and then end up at the beginning trying to find yourself. So I think a lot of people have struggled to connect with an activity that brings them enjoyment. I think that's part of uh, a huge part of being consistent. I know for me, you know, I had, you know, just been a recreational lifter. Then I dated a power lifter. So I switched, shifted more to powerlifting, And now I'm basically doing like break dance and, and fighting at the same time. And, a, and an activity that I find a lot of value in and it's been great, but it, sometimes it takes a while to get there. Yeah, I think what you said is so key because, you know, we can read what the exercise guidelines are or, you know, for example, in my life right now, I know that some type of barbell training would probably be the best thing for me. But between not wanting to necessarily go into a gym because of COVID, having, you know, maybe a little bit less time because I am home with my daughter a lot of the time. And, you know, my time to work out is often like while she's napping, I can't necessarily even leave the house. You know, I'm not doing anything with a barbell right now and sort of having to learn like, oh, that's okay. You know, the weights, the I'm, I have dumbbells, you know, I'm still doing something, you know, is it the optimal best thing I could possibly be doing? Probably not, but you know, it's better than if I were to say like, well, if I can't do the most optimum thing, I'm not going to do anything, you know? what I'm doing is at the very least, hopefully maintaining the strength that I have. And I do think that doing something's better than doing nothing. So sort of making the best of what I have right now. And hopefully I'll get into more barbell training, you know, at a later point in my life. Yeah, I was listening to, I don't know what I was listening to on YouTube yesterday, and was talking about how, you know, a lot of coaches out there try to focus on like, oh, you need to do this to be performing here, and you have to stay at the top. And always have always firing on all cylinders always reaching towards your goal but life doesn't work that way and you know mm-hmm. you have a, you have many good reasons why you're not going to a gym they're all valid and especially you're a mother now that's a beautiful thing uh being able to devote that extra time to your daughter and her and her growth which you know, unfortunately for you might be you know be a little bit of a setback to you you know doing as much as you'd like to do for your fitness goals but i think it's important to understand that fitness is a lifelong journey and that there are going to be peaks and valleys in training that it's you know life is hard sometimes and i think the more clinicians like ourselves can help people understand that be a little bit 
easier on themselves when they have to take a step back or they're not able to. I, it's funny when you use the word like non-compliance with your home exercise program in, in PT. It's like, you know, if someone's child has something to do and they couldn't get their exercises done that day, you know, who am I, especially because I don't have any children yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I would someday, but I can certainly appreciate how, you know, other life factors take precedence over doing PT exercise sometimes. So instead of chastising a patient and being, well, it's your fault that you're not recovering so quickly, be a little bit more understanding that there's more to life than, than exercise. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think that's probably something we've gained too from just being older and more mature than maybe when we were new grads. And, you know, it's easy when you're, you know, like 26 and you don't have so much going on in your life to be like, everyone should be exercising and doing every single healthy thing. And then you sort of get older and have more life experience and say like, okay, other people have things going on in their lives. You know, they're taking care of, and if not a kid, you know, maybe they're taking care of a parent or a sibling or a partner, you know, just people have things going on in their lives. And it's important to understand even, you know, sometimes I'll have people who will say like, I just don't like that one exercise you gave me, or I have to lie down to do it. And I'm never lying down. Or So I think it's important to say like, okay, that could be the best way for them to do it, but they're not going to do it. So let me give them one that they can do standing or in a different way that they'll actually do because it's better that they do some exercise than never do the one that I thought was going to be the most perfect one for them. That's an excellent point. I think there's a quote about like the best exercises are the ones that get done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's all about adapting to people on the go. And I work pretty close to Wall Street here. So I have people making serious money transactions that are at their desk all the time to get them to go lie on the floor, even if it's at home. I'd be asking them to do that after like a 12 hour work day. That's at the only time they're lying down is when they're going to sleep. So I can certainly mm-hmm. appreciate uh, where you're coming from. Now I want to make sure that you are able to get everything out that you wanted to, uh, because I don't know how long this podcast is going to go. We could end soon or we could keep going depending on the conversation flow. But is there any, are there any like key points or anything you want the listeners to know either about you or about physical therapy before we sign off? I think we've hit most of the highlights. Talked about what we wanted to talk about. Okay. Now, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, either to have essays edited, newsletters edited or written, or just to connect with you and explore other options in physical therapy, what would be the best place to reach you? Yeah. Uh, So my website is my name, jasminemarcus.com. You can find me there. And then I'm also pretty active on Instagram and Twitter. Both of those are jmarcusdpt. And then my email is jmarcusdpt at gmail. So any combination of those, I'm pretty good at checking messages. Yeah, I feel like I should look at your website. I I don't know why I never even considered that before. Because you seem to have done a lot more background work on on me than I have on you. (laughs) That's the journalism in me, the journalist in me. <laughs> you have to do your background research. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, hopefully uh, it's not until, I mean, are we even going to have a 10-year reunion at Columbia? I don't know how that even I works. Know. Do they do reunions? Uh, I got it. I can ask. One of my good friends is in the class before us, but I, don't, I haven't heard any talk about that going on. Well, but, we still have we still have three years, so, right? Yeah. Well, you yeah. already know the... Uh, you're always welcome here in the city. There's, there's a couple of us still here, not not mm-hmm. too many, sadly, but 
Yeah. Um, it would be nice to, to catch up. And it was great to have you on. I really valued your time. And yeah, thanks uh, so much for having me. Yeah, so that that's, all we that's all we have today, people. I want to thank Jasmine Marcus again for her time and insight. Now get out there and make shit happen. Thanks for listening to this episode of To Health and Back. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And in the meantime, to connect with Dr. Jordan Seda, you can contact him through all social media networks at dr.jordanseda and online at theabstractphysio.com. Until next time, and remember, if opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. <laughs>